and welcome to Western Reaches number 15. We are a Toshi Station podcast, and I am one of your hosts, Saf. With me, as always, is Megan. Hello. I love that <laughs> you were so enthusiastic in that opening. It was very good. <laughs> I'm always enthusiastic. I'm very excited about podcasting. <laughs> I'm, I'm over here like I'm still so exhausted from this con. I have things to talk about, but I'm going to talk about them sort of haltingly. No, it was a great opening. <laughs> good. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we have lots of things to talk about as per usual. We have books, games, and our main topic, which is going to be the Rogue One trailer because that just dropped today. Yeah, that's a thing that happened. It is absolutely a thing that happened, and I am very excited about Rogue One. Um, we are also going to be talking a little bit about the Ahsoka novel, um, so that's going to be exciting too. Anyways, on to the actual show. First up, we have books <laughs> that we've been reading. Megan, what have you been reading? So I just finished a book called Cloudbound, which was the sequel to Updraft, which I think I've talked about on this podcast before. Um, yeah. yeah, by Fran Wild. So the sequel came out last week. I was lucky enough to meet her at Comic-Con, which just like fanned the flames of my enthusiasm about this series. So the, the second one was really good. It answered a lot of the questions that the first one posed. The, the prose itself is still not, it's not super dense, but it does what it's, what it's supposed to do. And I kind of liked that she did something really different in this one. She switched perspectives. So there's ostensibly a male lead and a female lead, but they they spend most of the time apart from one another. They were childhood friends, and the first book focuses mostly on Kirit, who is a lady, and the second book focuses on Nat, who is a dude. And you see what's been going on in his life. He's a very different kind of protagonist. And Kieran is there, but she's sort of in the background. And I I miss her because I liked her a lot. And I look forward to her perspective coming back. But it was a really unique choice. So I enjoyed that. Do you think it worked well for the book? It's hard. So it's hard to say. Because what I think it did well was add a new perspective. They are very different in the way they approach things. He is a little bit naive. He starts out being taken under the wing, no pun intended, of a sort (laughs) of slimy politician, and he thinks he's doing the right thing. He's not very quickly. He learns that he's not, but he's got a, a sort of arc of learning to be less naive and learning a lot of information throughout this book, Whereas she was learning in a slightly different arc. She was learning more like physical skills and knowledge also because this whole series is about like unpacking secrets. But I thought they paralleled each other in an interesting way. It also, it I mean, it meant what it says on the tin, which is that she now becomes a background character. And the way it's written is you can tell that there's a lot going on with her. She's developing relationships with other characters, but all of which happens essentially off screen. And it's it really makes me want to know, like, are there any plans to do flashbacks to her? Like, is this one of those situations where you... I mean, it, it is one of those situations where you could do a whole, like, second book just from her point of view, and it would be a very different book. And I've never really encountered anything like that before. So... Yes, I think it worked well. I also <laughs> would read the book that was just this book from Carrot's perspective. That's really cool. Um, 
I really want to read those books. They are definitely on my list to I read. I highly recommend them. And I will say this second one has a um, polyamorous relationship. It's very, I think one reader wrote, uh, described it as a low key. There's hardly any romance at all, but that it seems like a poly relationship is heavily implied. That is really cool. I'm definitely into that. <laughs> I thought that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, speaking of books with different perspectives, smooth slide into my book. Um, nice. <laughs> I, I read The Silent History, which is a book that's written by three different dudes, and I don't remember any of their names because I'm terrible. Um, that's like a bunch of short chapters that are different perspectives from different people built around this like phenomena of children being born without language at all. Like they can't register language they don't learn language they're totally silent completely and they're called the silence um or something like that and it's a history essentially of what happens from when they were they started happening until like later and when they existed sort of um and i was really intrigued too but it's not amazingly written which i'm really sad about it has a really, really cool idea, and it starts off really interestingly. Like, the characters do interesting things, and the whole idea is just like, oh, what does this mean? What is happening? Um, but then it gets about, like, halfway, and all of these characters are just making really unrealistic decisions, and the entire situation that happens with the silence just feels really unrealistic as well. And by the end of it, I was just really tired of the book, because it didn't feel like what should have happened and none of the characters were actually likable by the end, which was really sad. The one character that they tried really hard to make likable, they never really gave any closure for or like explained her in any way. Because she was a silent, so it could never be from her point of view. But there was nothing really given about her except that everybody loved her. Hmm. I feel like that could be done really interesting if you went all the way to like a um, Flowers for Algernon kind of perspective where you really messed with the language. But it sounds like this didn't do that. Yeah, it didn't really experiment or go out of its way to do anything interesting, which is kind of what disappointed me because it had so much potential to be interesting. I think the most interesting thing was at some point, I'm going to give a spoiler, um, but at some point in the book, um, the silence can get like this implant that helps them learn language, but it doesn't actually teach them language. It just kind of gives impulses connected to some database that has all these words. And there's one character that gets it and she really, she always wanted to know language. Like she always liked people who could talk. Um but it doesn't work properly with her. And so it, it, the way she thinks, because everything's from their point of view, it's first person. Um, she'll say things slightly wrong and then like recorrect it later on. And it's really interesting when they do that, but they, that only happens for like two chapters with her, I think. And then everything else is just kind of boring. And all of the women are kind of not treated excite, like not excitedly. I'm um, very well. They're all really flat characters. Hmm, it sounds like there's a lot of potential there, but it just didn't use it. Yeah, basically. And it, it made me sad because I just read, like, um, what was it even called? Speak, which was really interesting with the idea of language in a different way, totally different way. Um, but that was a really creative book. And then I read this book and I was like, okay. It's sort of similar to when I read Ancillary Justice and then read The Join <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah, it's one of those situations where you read something that's so good. And then you don't want to read anything else similar because it can't be as good. Yep, exactly yep. like that. Um, I know that feeling. So what was it that was unlikable about the characters? Were they like what you would consider 
immoral people or was it more like you just couldn't connect with them it was i guess a bit of both um some of them were really immoral but they made choices because they thought they were good which usually i like but they just seemed like bad choices in general there was no real reason for them to make them and there was one character in particular i can't remember, i think his name was david or something and he seemed kind of interesting because at first when he was like a kid at the start of the thing he wanted to be a silent like he he actually like pretended to be a silent for ages at school and um he felt comfortable with it and i was like that's a really interesting idea that these people want to be like this but then his entire character arc just went really crazy like he just turned into this weird dude who befriended wallabies and like i didn't even know wallabies existed in america until this book I, I, if they even I do i don't think they do no okay <laughs> well apparently oh, yeah, in this book there are wallabies in america that, that sounds random yeah, yeah. Un- unless they're really hiding i i don't think so huh. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess that's another weird thing about this book. But he, like, befriended all these wallabies and then, like, killed them all. And I didn't I didn't understand what he was doing. And there was also another, like, kind of hippie-ish sort of new age lady who thought she could communicate with the silence. And her entire character arc was just, like, constantly the world crushing her and the author is kind of, like, degrading her opinions while still trying to make her be, like, she believes strongly in what she does. And I don't know. And there was one character as well called Francine who is, um, a, she was Asian. Um, and she seemed like her, actually, she was my favorite character. And she kind of did have a good character arc, but it kept going out of its way to just say that she wasn't pretty. Which I found, after, like, the first time, I'm like, okay, cool, you, you have a character that's not like pretty that's that's fine like cool but then they keep going out of their way to be like she's ugly she's ugly and i was like you don't have to do this every single time a new character meets her it's not essential yeah that seems kind of odd because like usually i, I do like when female characters are described as being sort of unconventional looking but that could definitely go into like now it's just a male author insulting women territory is, is that yeah, that, that sounds it odd felt to me. like that. Yeah, and just basically every choice a character made didn't feel like something an actual human would do. So, I don't know. I I can see why like people really liked it. I can see why it's... Because it's, I think it's a pretty popular book like in some places, or it was at some point. Um, I think it was an app at some point, actually, before it was a book, which went through all the stories. I don't know how that worked, but oh. that sounded interesting at least. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting idea, but I don't think it was done well. Huh, that makes me wonder. So you said it was an app before. Was it self-published or was that like a market? Now I'm wondering about like where the app thing come from. But like... <laughs> I don't know. It just It's okay. on the back somewhere of the book saying like it was originally an app and now it's a best-selling novel or something. And I was like, okay, huh. that seems cool. And then I was like, I'll look up the app if I like the book. And then I got to the end of the book and I was like, I don't care anymore. Huh, interesting. Yeah. So that reminds me of something else that I wanted to say about cloudbound if you don't mind me interrupting you no no um talking about like seeing characters that do things that aren't necessarily portrayed as positive in the in the book but like they're portrayed as positive for having a conviction at all um one of the things i did like about cloudbound was that it had this political situation where the first book the curate kind of brings down this secret governance society the, the singers and now the singers are having to reacclimate into normal normal life and 
you see people who are sort of against them saying like that they oppressed us and you have people that are for them saying they we can't go back and do to them what they did to us and everyone is complicit in this and Kirit herself kind of is on the side of the singers a little bit because she doesn't agree with everything they did but she spent a lot of time there and she got attached to some of the people there so like it it, and it reminded me a little bit of the Jedi with like the old Republic Jedi did some bad things but they're portrayed as like a place you kind of want to go and I thought this did a good job of showing that showing both sides of that argument and vilifying neither of them I appreciate it when an author can do that well yeah and there's it's you know your mileage may vary but that was one of the things that I liked about it that's really cool and I, like, I didn't expect Kira to take the side that she did because it, it very much didn't follow the, like, she's rebellious, so she's going to keep rebelling against every structure that the author can throw against her. It was more like, no, she rebelled against this particular aspect, but she actually likes these people, and now she's trying to find a world where they can all coexist. That's cool character development. Yeah, I have I have so many feelings about these books. <laughs> I definitely have to read them. <laughs> if, yeah, uh, you should. More people <laughs> so, should talk to me about them. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely read them, and then we can do an episode on them one day. Excellent. Yes. So, what else have you been reading? So, I also read um, the Last Days of New Paris by China Mayville, which was set. It's set in World War Two. It's about a an alternate Paris, as the title might indicate in which surrealist art has come to life. So you'll get paintings or creatures um, or, you know, illustrations manifesting in the streets. And Paris becomes this odd, abstract, dangerous wasteland where surrealists are fighting Nazis and both have these, like, creatures on their sides. And um, it was really good. It was very... um, his it's written beautifully all of his stuff is written beautifully and this was no exception um it was interesting from a historical perspective because while it wasn't subtle in any way they're they're fighting nazis that's just what the story is about um you learn a lot about surrealism and about the different political groups and like what surrealism meant in france at that time and in the back is actually a glossary of what paintings inspired which creatures so I didn't get a lot of the references in the book but then in the back there was this glossary so I could understand it and I really appreciated that because he could very easily have just left it as um if you know these paintings then you get the reference and if you don't you don't but I felt like I uh it was really illuminating to see them explained so that was really good and shout out to our friend Tom Holler who helped work on that one (laughs) that is awesome was that like uh, those like creepy paintings with like describing hell or something? Were those surrealist? I don't even know if you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm I'm immediately picturing Dante's Inferno, or yeah. and the illustrations. Um, who is that really famous illustrator who did Dante's Inferno? In which case, no, that's not surrealist. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm think thinking so. of um. 
Oh, they were the animal, not the animal books, the ones written by K.A. Applegate, which were based off of these paintings, and I can't remember what the paintings were. But Wait, they were like... Animorphs books were based off of surrealist no, no. paintings? No, no, there were other, <laughs> other books by K.A. Applegate, um, okay. which were like, these people, these kids went into like space or something and cryosleep, and they ended up in like this hellscape that was based off these, like, I think they were surrealist, and I cannot remember who did them, but they're like these really creepy... Um, paintings depicting hell in some way or something like that (laughs) okay that is not familiar to me (laughs) i'm looking it up i don't i I don't know um (laughs) but i'm intrigued now yeah i would probably have believed you if you told me animorphs was inspired by surrealist art i mean i would probably (laughs) believe that if i was told that too um i see a series called everworld the so the like most recognizable example I think is of Salvador Dali. He, he has Dali paintings in this. In oh this book. yeah, that makes. I don't know why my mind didn't go there first. That makes a lot more sense. No, that's fine. I'm I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. Wait, were any was anyone fighting like the clocks? Did the clocks come into it in any way? Uh, I don't think so. There were there might have been like. Like a dolly landscape in the distance, but he avoided any outright people fighting melting clocks. Okay, that's fair. That's very fair. Yes, but um, uh. it was really good. And the, apparently, the the cover, which is an image of the Eiffel Tower, sort of floating above the city, and it looks at first like it's just foggy, but really, it's just the top third of the Eiffel Tower and it's just floating on nothing and apparently that is itself from a painting which I I didn't know that that's real cool I guess I don't know what I was gonna say there I guess this guy just really likes um (laughs) surrealist painting well you can tell that it's an influence and I think there's definitely well I don't want to talk too much to it because I don't know much about surrealist art at all but I can see how from the stuff that he uh he writes, I can see how he would like that style. And it was apparently inspired by a game called Exquisite Corpse, which is, and I'm looking for the word to describe this, but I don't know what the, the word for it is, but like, we used to do this in grade school, like you fold a paper in three, and then you draw one, you've got three people, you draw on each fold of it, but you can't see what the person uh. below you is drawing. So yeah. it'll end up like three different body bodies of one creature. So apparently that's what it was in large part inspired by. Um, and that was a surrealist game that I think of as a children's game, but apparently actually, at least according to this book, had a pretty significant impact on art, like fine art. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I remember playing that in primary school, and I always thought of it as a kid's game too. But I think that makes a lot of sense to come from surrealist stuff. Yeah, it, it kind of does. Does that game have a name? Like, what did you call that? I just don't remember. I don't remember if we even had a name for it. We just kind of did it. Yeah. Huh. Well, apparently in French surrealist, it's called Exquisite Corpse. That's such a cool name. It is, right? I probably would have liked <laughs> it even more if I knew that. <laughs> I would have just been like, I don't understand either of these words, but this is a cool game. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really good. I don't really have any criticism about it. It was, um, I, uh, it got a little bit into, like, 
Hitler did art and he was a failed artist and it got a little bit into that which I think you know your mileage may vary um if you find that cheesy or not but I I didn't have any problem with it I thought it was a beautifully written book I feel like yeah if the book is like beautifully written enough then cheesy stuff can get a pass Hmm. at least in some cases yeah I would agree if you do it well then and I think this did it well then it it definitely works yeah um the book I'm reading at the moment actually is really beautifully written as well though less less surrealism actually the writing is a little bit weird the style is really kind of vague a lot of the time so maybe it's a bit surrealist in style um but it's Mendocino Fire, which I kept seeing on the mystery shelf at the library. Like, every time I walked in there, I would see this book and be like, oh, that looks interesting. And I'd pick it up and look at what it's actually about and be like, this is not something I would read. Um, and I kept seeing it every single time. And eventually I picked it up and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read this book. I don't even care what it's about. <laughs> and it turns out it's a collection of short stories by an author called Elizabeth Talent, I think. Um, I It's something like that. And she has this real good way of capturing relationships so it's a bunch of short stories about relationships between people basically um and so the first short story is about a relationship between this fisherman and his father who is an awful person um and how he deals with that and what that kind of in like how that kind of culminates um and the second one i read was about this man who got this found this rug at a garbage dump or something um and his life just kind of falls apart from there with his wife and his ex-wife and his kids. And they're both real, they're really interesting short stories. And she has a real good way with words to capture emotions and feelings without actually using the words for those feelings in any way. Like she writes really weirdly, but I really love it. Hmm. So that's definitely a skill, that ability to write about emotion without ever going outright and saying what it is i think that's always really impressive yeah and she doesn't always i can't understand what she's saying sometimes like there's gonna be sentence and i have to read it like five times i'm like i still don't understand what's actually happening but i enjoy the way the words fit together hmm. so i feel kind of stupid reading it but i also love it <laughs> yeah i like that feeling sometimes <laughs> So, yeah, I'm I'm enjoy I'm enjoying it a lot. And I think the one I'm reading at the moment, the short story I'm reading right now, I think it's gay. Like I'm pretty sure it's about a woman loving a woman. And I don't know where it's gonna go because I'm really early into the story, but I'm just excited about that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't know if I would end up liking this book at all, but it just kept catching my eye, and I'm kind of glad I picked it up because the style is really interesting, if nothing else. Um, and also, it's a lady author, so I'm excited about that too. Because I, like, I went from the silent history, which had such a boring prose and such unlikable characters or unbelievable characters, and they went to Mendocino Fire, which has this really, really, like, life-filled prose. Like, it feels really real and strong, and these characters feel like real people. And I was instantly just like, this is why. <laughs> This is why every book I've read by a woman so far has been so much better. I don't know why this year. Like, two of my favorite authors are men. Like, I, I love books written by dudes, and it feels weird to have to say that. But, like, every book I've read this year by a woman has been vastly better than every book I've read by a man. Huh. 
do you think it's because you yourself are developing more like taste for your own style or I mean it could just be coincidence it could be that more women writers are being like pushed to the forefront yeah I think it's a bit of both I think the way a lot of these female authors write is more yeah more similar to what I like in a book but I think it's also that when it comes to science fiction a lot of dudes at least with like popular stuff end up writing similar books and I think it's because it's what Mm. they like so they write what they enjoy um whereas the female authors of red have written more experimentally and branched out more or even been inspired by older science fiction like much older science fiction that was more fringe as well and so their books end up feeling really different to the books that the men are writing in the same genre which i think is partly why i like them yeah that uh that makes sense yeah and i know like, like sorry continue no, I was just going to say that I've read so many good female authors this year. And I think that, not that I've not read really good books by male authors as well, but I've tended to put more books by male authors back on the shelf. And I think it's for that same reason that, like, the the sort of high fantasy lone hero goes after ancient evil that I'm sort of done with. Like, the Lord of the Rings style high fantasy tends to be written by men. And I'm I'm avoiding that more. And I think when you avoid that as either an author or a writer, you do branch out into things that are by like inherently different. And maybe more women writers are finding their place in, in those things and in the, the new weird movement. Yeah, I agree with that. I read yeah. a collection of short stories recently that I forgot to put on our list, but um, call, it was called Jagannath by Karen Tidbeck, which is apparently translated, um, but and she was, this is her first publication in the United States, but again, really good, really weird, um, if you like creatures, if you like a little bit of body horror stuff, uh, I definitely recommend that. That sounds really cool. I love short story collections. I just love short stories so much. I read a couple good ones lately. I... I was sort of on a short story kick for a little bit and I don't often read them but um they've been they've been really good yes I love how they have to condense so much story into just like a short thing it they really have to you really have to be careful with the words you use to make it mean what you want to mean yes and you can create worlds that are very self-contained but really colorful yeah yeah right so Jagannath, for instance, the title story is about a bunch of humans living inside this like half mechanical, half biological creature. And it's not that the story couldn't have been told in a longer form, but it's that it it took exactly the time that it needed to create this weird claustrophobic atmosphere and a little bit of plot in it. And uh, I was really impressed by that. Oh my god, that sounds awesome. I'm gonna have to read that too. I have so many books I have to read. But... <laughs> I could probably throw more recommendations at you, but <laughs> one at a time. <laughs> it's okay. I still need to get to Embassy Town, which you recommended me. Um, but another book I've read, and also you've read, which is also written by a female author, was Ahsoka, which was the Star Wars novel that just came out. Um, it's a young adult novel about Ahsoka in the time between Revenge of the Sith and Rebels. Closer to Revenge of the Sith, I think. Um, and it's essentially about her not being a Jedi anymore and her figuring out her life somewhat which I guess is what you'd kind of expect from a novel set in that time um what did you think about it so 
I generally liked it, but at the same time, I read it very slowly, and I think that it had some pacing issues. Um, it was, like, technically, it was fine. It was an enjoyable book. I it I liked Ahsoka's character. I liked the side characters, but it was a lot of her going back and forth between two different locations that she was being hunted by the Empire in without a lot of tension and without a lot of scope. So we saw some like flashbacks to Clone Wars era stuff that they chose not to tell in full. Whether or not they're going to tell it in full somewhere else, I don't know. But um, I thought that the the scope was kind of, kind of smaller than it needed to be. Um, and that's... It's tricky because I, I wanted to like this, and a lot of fans are saying the same thing, are saying that the scope wasn't quite what they wanted, and maybe that's just not what the book set out to do, but I'm, it, I'm hesitant to recommend it. I don't know. What do, you, what do you think? I'm in a really similar boat to you, and I, I read it in a day. I didn't really put it down because oh, um, nice. I really wanted to get through it. And I was like, I, need, I should write a review about this, so I should read it quickly. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really in a similar boat. Like, I liked the book enough. It's a good, like, it's an enjoyable book. There's nothing really wrong with the book, but it's also not, like, a good book. There's nothing about it that stands out as a really stellar book. Um, yeah, it has pacing issues, and it doesn't really have any strong tension, or even really, like, a strong antagonist to hold it together yeah that was definitely one of the problems i think i was really excited when i heard about like what when the main protagonist or uh, excuse me the main antagonist shows up but then that never really it see i can't even like <laughs> describing this book is hard because i can't even say it wasn't satisfying i think the the confrontation at the end of the book was really satisfying and answered interesting questions but it didn't have the depth that i wanted from it yeah, I think my main issue with this book is it does feel a lot more like a middle grade book than a young adult book, and I can't entirely put my finger on why. Like, it's hard to entirely explain what a young adult book is because there can be so many things, but it read a lot more like the middle grade books that Star Wars already has out than young adult books do. Um, like, the the middle grade books that Star Wars has got, like the, the Leia and Han and Luke books from last year, um, they're not they're not childish. They're quite mature books for middle grade. I mean, middle grade books generally are. Um, and Ahsoka kind of fell on that. Like, it's not a childish book in any way, but it's not... It doesn't have the depth of character or of world building or of anything of that sort to really fall into young adult, I think. Mm, yeah, that might be part of it, uh, that it doesn't quite have that depth. And it's a, it's a pity because I really like the characters, and I think this is a great example of diversity in Star Wars because... There are so many female characters. There are so many, you know, characters of uh, who are white, who are black, who are alien. And there are so many opportunities where you see how many women influence Ahsoka's life. And I liked that a lot. But that, but the story still doesn't quite make it. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of sad about that because I was really excited about this book. So I was like, a young adult Ahsoka book is going to be my favorite. And it's like, it's okay. It's interesting reading the author. Uh, she did a um, fan cast for it, which I love, and I think all Star Wars authors should do from now on, where she showed like what she thought the characters would look like. 
And she said that she was face blind and that that's part of the reason why she doesn't do a lot of physical description because she just doesn't picture people's how they look in in the book because in real life she has trouble discerning faces. And I thought that was really interesting and I kind of I kind of feel for her on that. That makes sense kind of like reading this book as someone with aphantasia there was not a lot of description of people so I just kind of didn't there's kind of like nothing to me um so it kind of comes across as someone who struggles somewhat with a vaguely similar thing not entirely though um I'm not face blind um but yeah I think I love it when they make fan casts I need to go look it up because I haven't seen I didn't even know she'd done that um and I'm excited to see what Kaden I think that's her name looks like because I like her yeah, she had it's um it's E. K. Johnston's Tumblr, I think it's on, but then she cross posted it to Twitter as well. Also like slight spoilers, but I do appreciate that they brought in another LGBT character. Yeah, Even if so, there was no closure with that character at all, really. Yeah, so I, I wasn't sure that definitely we're in spoiler territory now, I think. But um I wanted to know like what you thought about that because I actually thought there was sort of uh, a bit about Ace Ahsoka in this book and I didn't know if anybody else like thought of that yeah but and and yeah it definitely does bring in canon like LGBT characters and that was cool yeah so like spoilers warning to people listening to this but yeah um I think it did kind of try like it may have hinted towards asexual Ahsoka and I could definitely read that out of the book um I think I read that a bit myself My main issue was that it didn't have anything from her in any regard. Like, she just didn't... She didn't acknowledge what was happening in that regard in any way. It was just silence, completely. And I was kind of like... I could have appreciated if she'd been like... It's I I have been, I have more important things to do. I can't focus on relationships or anything like that. Or been like I don't do romance. And I've been like okay, cool, thanks. But there was just nothing. There was no closure whatsoever. And that's kind of what annoyed me. That it kind of led up and hinted to things and then didn't do anything at all. Yeah, I, I did think that it was sort of odd the way it, it almost any place where Ahsoka would have had any thoughts about romance it almost and I'm not saying I think this is what happened it's sort of what it felt like to me it almost like anything that had been there had been cut out which again emphasis on like I don't think that was actually part of the editorial process I think probably more authorial choice but like there she she didn't react to any of that at all yeah and I think I get that like they don't they probably don't want to give her like a canon sexuality yet or something like maybe they're trying to avoid it and it's not really E.K. Johnson's place to do it. Um, which I'm like, that's fair. I understand that. But I still just wish they'd given something to at least acknowledge that Caden wasn't just speaking at thin air. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's such an odd topic of why why a character's sexuality would just not be addressed. Is it? And there's so many possible reasons. Um, I kind of liked that Caden... She was definitely read as having, like, a romantic interest, but she was also read as having, like, she's just really impressed by a Jedi. And I thought it was kind of an interesting, like, look at how Jedi are received in that era, as they they are so impressive and, like, anyone's going to fall in love with them because they're so different from anything anyone has seen before. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I love seeing people being positive about Jedi, even though they had their issues <laughs> and they definitely did contribute to the fallout of 
or the fall of the Republic. I still love Jedi. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, this is a Jedi yeah. positive podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I really like that they did bring in like a, a lesbian or bi lady um, because Star Wars needs more of those, I think. And I like that at least. And it's possible that Ken could come back at some point, which I like. And I, I didn't actually expect anything of that sort from this book at all. So the fact that I even got like a, a queer character in the first place is really exciting. I'm just still like, give me more, <laughs> please give me more. So I think, yeah, I think, it's, yeah, it's cool to see that diversity for sure. And because it's tough because Ahsoka is a character that so many people identify with. So, and it's hard in any case to make fans happy, but I think this has a lot riding on it because so many people like Ahsoka, so many people want to see Ahsoka confirmed as whatever they think that she is. So this book had a lot of uh, had a lot riding on it, and I don't know. So do you feel that it was satisfying that nothing was resolved and fans can still read her the way they want or did you hope that there was going to be a little more confirmation of something i am okay with nothing really being confirmed like i'm okay with it being ambiguous i am like i'm not satisfied in the way that there was just nothing like like i said like even just like something being like i can't handle relationships or like like just saying like she has the rebelling to deal with or something i'm like i would have been like that's cool i understand that like there's no confirmation of anything there but at least there's a reason for her not acknowledging what's happening the fact that there was just complete silence is the thing that i think frustrates me the most like i would have been okay with no confirmation of her being bi as long as there was no confirmation of something otherwise um as well i don't want her to be confirmed straight which i don't think they're gonna do either um i'm okay with them being ambiguous forever with ahsoka because i understand that it's hard with a character like that um like having a character like that be in some way LGBT would be a huge step for a lot of fans, but it's hard when you've got so many fans wanting different things out of her as well. That's understandable that that would be frustrating though, and I definitely thought it was an odd choice to to leave out any any information at all. And I think isn't there's one part where Caden sort of says maybe later or something. Am I am I? forget am i remembering that right it wasn't at all from ahsoka's point of view but it was like kaden thinking maybe this isn't the right time maybe i'll try again later oh yeah like um when ahsoka comes to save her she's like i could kiss you and she's like i have bad timing yeah <laughs> and i was like that's adorable <laughs> yeah i thought that maybe that was like leaving a door open for something later um and this comes back to i, I guess it comes back to what Pablo Hidalgo and I were talking about on Twitter the other day, which uh, he had said that Star Wars writers have to be careful not to steal stories from each other, so you don't confirm anything that you don't have to confirm because then you might be changing the character for another author who hasn't even been hired for their story yet. And I wonder if this is something like that, like they want to leave it open for maybe there will be more adventures of Kaden and Ahsoka, and later there maybe there won't be. But on the other hand, there's a big difference between saying we want to leave this open for more plot for future writers and saying we're going to obscure a potentially LGBT relationship. I think those are two different things. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um and I feel like there were probably better ways to handle it. I think, yeah, like I said, I think the book is good, but it's just not amazing. And I think the issue of leaving things open for future authors or 
having things feel really unresolved is going to be an issue that's going to come up a lot in future Star Wars stuff because they're going to have to leave a lot open. Um, and I feel like this book was potentially one of the first times I've seen it actually affect the novel. Like, I think the entire book felt a bit like that. Um, they didn't want to do too much with Ahsoka because they didn't want to affect much of the galaxy with Ahsoka. They needed her to still be, like, quite contained because she can't be known to the Empire before Rebels because otherwise Vader probably would have gone after her sooner. Um, and I think that possibly contributed to the book. Having strugg- struggling with scope as well, like people wanting bigger scope, they had trouble with that because they needed it to be relatively contained. And I think that is... I think this book was potentially doomed to not be amazing because of that. It had it had trouble from the start because of what they'd already written Ahsoka into. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I definitely felt that way about the Siege of Mandalore stuff. Uh, I found myself wondering... The same as I wondered in Dark Disciple, like what of this was in, was written for the Clone Wars years ago, and what of it was new? Because there were some flashbacks. I really liked the the flashbacks to Ahsoka and Rex. I thought they were some of the best parts of the book, but we didn't get to see a lot from them. Yeah, I'd agree. Those were some of the best parts of the book for me as well. I really liked them, and I think it's possibly because they were. Those things feel like they were probably really planned out from the Clone Wars, and so they had a really solid footing, possibly. Yeah, it's tricky because you get fans asking questions of, okay, well, where was Ahsoka during Order 66? Where what was the Siege of Mandalore? And the answer, the official answer is, well, maybe we don't know yet because we haven't found the medium to tell those stories in yet. And that's a, I think... A fundamental disconnect between the way fans think about stories and the way the franchise thinks about stories. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And that's a big topic, but that's been on my mind recently, and I think because of, of Pablo being very illuminating about it, um, and because I think you kind of can, if you look at this book with that in mind, you can see certain parts where it might come into play i don't know that that's true but you can sort of use this as an example i think yeah like it's impossible to know what they're actually thinking behind the scenes because they're very good at not letting us know um but Hmm. i don't know i i don't know like i said like you said actually like i'm not sure i would actually recommend it to anyone unless they're a huge ahsoka fan i think it being ahsoka probably saves it from being an okay book because people are just excited about the fact it's Ahsoka. And also the fact that um, Johnson actually captures Ahsoka's voice really well, which was something I was worried about. She does, and I would absolutely like to see her writing more Star Wars books. I think there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, none of this, I think, is really her fault. That's interesting that you say, like, what if it was another Jedi? Because now I'm thinking, like, well, what if it was? What would it change? And it wouldn't really change... It would change the way she thinks in terms of her relationships with Anakin and Obi-Wan, but it wouldn't necessarily change the plot. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. Yeah. And that itself is not necessarily ideal. I think. Yeah. I think if you could die, the fact that you could potentially replace her and it still be the same story is a little bit, it goes to show a little bit how much this book isn't really influenced by Ahsoka being Ahsoka. Hmm. Which is, Which is kind of unfortunate, and I think that, and I I don't mean to go on and on about this, but it it is an interesting topic, I think. Um, I I like that you get to see her growing into sort of more what Fulcrum's going to be, but that growth 
from someone who's a little bit volatile to someone who's super calm and like almost Qui-Gon level of zen but also rebellious that could have spanned that entire amount of time between Revenge of the Sith and Rebels but instead it's it's enclosed and that sort of limits it yeah and like I'd compare it to Kenobi a little bit um Mm-hmm. Which is a bit about you know Obi Wan going from in- Revenge of the Sith to starting to become the Obi Wan we see in the original trilogy, and they don't do that in the entire book. Um, John Jackson Miller like builds him up to the point where he could start becoming that character, and then the book kind of ends there. Um, and so you have this whole open area where you can kind of imagine him becoming more of the Ben Kenobi, um, the weird old man wizard guy. But Ahsoka, yeah, she kind of just gets all at once in this book. And it's really hard to tell how long she spends in any one area. And because it jumps back and forth between those two places, it's hard to judge what time anything is really taking. It was, especially the the stuff with the Fardy family is passed over very quickly for how much time she's supposed to spend there, I think. Yeah, yeah, and Mm. it's... I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know how I feel about this book. Like, in a year, I could have a totally different opinion of it. Like, I'll probably reread it and see how I feel about it then. But I'm just, I'm sad that it didn't really, like, hit me like Twilight Company did. Because I, Not everything like, can be Twilight Company, so. I know. I know not everything can be Twilight Company. Um, <laughs> but I did expect Rogue One it. novel soon. Oh, I'm so excited. But I'm, I feel like that probably still won't even be Rogue rogue um twilight company i just i think i'm just sad because this book had the potential to be my favorite star wars book and then it it didn't even get there and but the thing is that i'm not even mad about it like i'm not disappointed in the book or anything i'm so like okay that's cool this book is still fun and i don't know how i feel about that either yeah so my expectations were not as high as yours i don't think because i personally am not attached to ahsoka i don't really have anything riding on my perception of her so I was you know hoping that it would be good but I wasn't as invested and I I liked her there was certainly nothing for me to dislike about her in this in this book but my what I'm left with is definitely sort of what we've been saying this sort of confused like it was good but it's missing something and um to be fair I think that um the audiobook might even fill in some of what was missing because Ashley Eckstein does the voice and at times I could absolutely like hear her voice in this book partially because I was I was making an effort to imagine it but also because the the dialogue was good it seemed to fit Ahsoka so I wonder whether the audiobook would give any more nuance to it maybe I like that they brought in the, the Clone Wars actors but I don't usually listen to audiobooks so I don't know if I'll actually have that experience yeah, I don't really listen to audiobooks either. I'm not sure I'm going to listen to this one, even if it is Ashley Eckstein. Um, I've heard that it's pretty good, um, that Ashley Eckstein's really good at the narrating and Ahsoka's voice, but apparently her doing male voices is really bad. <laughs> yeah, I I heard that she can... The other characters' voices are not quite as good, but I yeah. that's just secondhand. Yeah, that's secondhand for me as well. Um, I still remember how much I loved in what was it the perfect weapon or something when the the parent torrent dude just had such a dude bro voice in the audiobook it was great i love audiobooks <laughs> because it's just so distressing hearing the the narrator try and do all these other voices and not quite making it a lot of the time i love it it's so <laughs> dumb i love it 
it's I don't listen to audiobooks often, so I never know whether what I'm hearing is like the normal level of voice distortion or an unusual level. Like I could I couldn't review an audiobook, I don't think, because I don't listen to enough of them. Yeah. Yeah, same. But yep. anyways, we talked about soccer a lot. <laughs> and I think a, the good way to sum up this book is it's all right, it's good, but it, there's something missing and it's confusing. Yeah. 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 So moving on to games, what have you been up to, Megan? So I have not played any games in like two weeks, but um, I've been away. So I went to Seattle um, for a little while last week and then I went to New York Comic Con. So I haven't really been playing much, but while I was in Seattle, I, I took the opportunity to stop by um, Bungie Studios and the Microsoft campus, and I didn't do interviews. I didn't really go talk to anyone. I just saw where they physically were, and uh, Microsoft has like a visitor center. But it was pretty cool. I, it was nice to be able to see, you know, where these things come from. And Bungie is in like a random like strip mall. You'd never know it was there unless you went up to the actual floor where it is. And, so that was a lot of fun. That's really cool. It was really cool. It was just completely, um, I just happened to, to have a friend in the area and said, hey, I'm coming to visit you. Want to go see these things? So uh, it was really cool. What kind of atmosphere is at the um, bungee place? Um, well, unfortunately, I didn't really get much of a chance to see because you can't really go very, you can't really go in. There's a front desk. There's, um, uh. they have an ODST, like, set of armor outside which is pretty cool Uh, at the desk they have destiny um graphics hung on the wall so it's it's beautiful it's this little corner office with destiny things all over it but i i really couldn't tell you sense of atmosphere i could tell you that there were definitely other fans who were there just like creeping around (laughs) like we were (laughs) which was which was kind of funny that's so cool yeah, I mean, it was it was nice. Hopefully, one day I'll get the chance to go there again and do a more uh, comprehensive tour. They should absolutely let you do that one day. You'd be the perfect we'll person for that. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, um, I have been playing. I actually played quite a bunch of games recently, though not all the way through. Actually, one all the way through. I played the Banner Saga um, finally, which I've been meaning to play for ages. Um, and I actually wrote like a massive post of about it on Toshi Station um, yeah, if you listen to this. Yeah, tea post. Yeah, yeah, teacups I'm and looking forward to more of those because I really like that idea. Yeah, I think I'm going to do Oxenfree next. Um, I'm very excited to finally write a lot about Oxenfree because I have a lot of feelings on that as well. But yeah, my Banner Saga was really good. I really, really liked it despite the fact that it seems like I had a lot of issues with it, which I did. Um, it's a really fun game. The battle style is weird to get used to to begin with because it's very tactical and it's different to other tactical games I think um, but it's still a really fun game and it has a really interesting style and I love that there's so many choices you can make and they all feel very important but they do kind of eventually kind of you get kind of bitter towards the end of the game about making these choices like I, I did at least I became an awful person basically because I was just like I don't care anymore everyone's gonna die anyways um. <laughs> so what was it a sort of like desperation or was it a like basically i'm asking was it fun was it good bitterness or bad bitterness it kind of felt like i was like changing with the character i was playing um because the character one of the characters rook who's one of the main characters you play he he essentially has to lead like an entire village 
across the country and try and keep them safe and event and you can get more and more people as you go so you eventually end up with like hundreds of people you're responsible for and you're a person you're not a leader yourself um like the clan leader dies at the start of the game um and then you kind of take control because you're a man they won't follow the woman because fantasy sexism um and so as the game goes on you're forced to make harder and harder choices to figure out who should live and who who should die because you can't keep everyone alive basically and so I felt like I was becoming this bitter, like, hard leader, just like Rook was. So it kind of felt cool in that way. Um, but on the other hand, I was all like, I wonder if this will still feel cool when I'm in the third game making these choices. But also, I don't know if I'm going to keep making choices like this later on. So on one hand, it was a really cool experience because it worked well for making you understand why the character might be like that. And also for you playing against what you feel the character should actually do because you know it's for the good of everyone else. Um and I liked that. I liked that a lot. I liked how they use choices within the game. But I did have issues with the fact that they don't... There's no narrative warnings at all about anything that could be coming up. And the game doesn't warn you whether or not there's permadeath at any point. And I don't know if there are battles in the game. Like, there's one battle I know of that does have a permadeath for a character. Um, but that one's pretty pretty obvious, whether or not it's actually meant to be obvious. It's still obvious. Um I didn't know whether or not there were going to be other ones and the game doesn't warn you. And so you kind of go into a battle and a character will be like, oh, somebody's probably going to die here. And you'll be like, do you mean actually die? Or do you mean just die in the battle and then come back afterwards? And it's really, really hard to know because, like I said, it doesn't give you warnings or it gives you too many warnings that don't feel real enough. Um, like it feels, it feels like something the character would just say within the world. But then in another game, that warning would mean somebody's going to die in this battle if you're not careful. Um, Mm. and I think that was my biggest issue with it was that the narrative was really good and really well written but it tried it was really ambitious and I think it wanted to punish the player too much Um, there's one choice that you can make in it where basically you can choose to wait in a place for ages and waiting I'm going to spoil it because don't make this choice waiting doesn't change anything but the game pushes you to think that it might there's one character that every time you try and leave the character will come up to you and be like no we have to stay I swear this person will turn up and they never will. And I know I didn't do it myself. I just straight away, I was like, I don't care, I'm leaving. Um, but I read a lot of other people who stayed there for ages and eventually screwed themselves over later in the game because of doing that. And the game doesn't give you enough warnings to be like, this probably isn't going to happen. It just lets you believe it. Oh, yeah, that would definitely bother me too. Yeah, and I appreciate that that's kind of what they want out of the game. They want to make hard choices and they want to punish players. But there is a point that... They need to be kind of kind to your players. Like, don't leave them completely alone. Um, and I'm hoping... And also, it's... Because I get that it's a trilogy, and they're trying to tell, like, one big story within the trilogy, but the first game is not a story. There's no main story in this game that is just this game. It has no self-contained story. And I I fight so much for how, how important it is for trilogies to be appreciated as a trilogy, like a whole story within three books or three games. But this is too far. It needed some kind of closure and more story within this game. And I, apparently the second game's even worse for this. So I'm sort of like, okay, fine. But even though I have these gripes, still really good game. I have no experience with this game at all. But your review on your um, on Tashi Station was really good. And I felt cold just by reading it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely recommend it. It's quite a short game. It's like 10 hours at most. Um, if you play it on easy mode like I did. Um 
and it's got really interesting characters though inexplicably one character you get near the end of the game is basically a palette swap of another character and i don't know why they're not related there's no interaction between them they're just a palette swap and i don't understand it huh that's kind of strange yeah so that i think that actually is my biggest issue with this game is i don't understand this palette swap character they don't mean anything and it's just very strange it's possibly because um the character they look like can die really early in the game and i know that because i killed them and they went back earlier in the game to keep them alive because they were my strongest character um so it's possible they just did that to be like hey this character maybe died have another version of them but i don't know that seems like a strange choice yeah yeah good game um also real quickly i started playing the last of us with someone on the hardest mode possible on the remaster so grounded which cuts out listen mode um all on-screen prompts, your HUD, all of that stuff, it's all just gone. Oh, um, no. It's terrifying, <laughs> genuinely terrifying when you walk into a room of, like, clickers and runners and you cannot use listener mode to find out where they are. But it works really well to make the game really intense. I turned my HUD off during a battle once by accident on Destiny, and that's all I needed of that experience. <laughs> so, or, oh, look, I didn't turn it off by accident. I just kept it off by accident. Uh-huh. But I don't fancy a game mode that's entirely like that. So impressive, good yeah. job. Yeah, it makes you. It actually is really immersive because it gets you. Re- like you have to be constantly watching around you to see where everything is. You have to know. You have to memorize where things are and how they will move. Um, and you also have to count your own shots, which I like because I'm playing it with um with my friend, and we we just don't use our gun at all because we have we've had four bullets like up to the point. I think we actually have eight bullets now between two different guns. Um, and we're, like, well, we're past, like, I think a third of the game, possibly. And we haven't, I think we've shot, like, two things. And those were things we had to do to get achievements. Otherwise, we have not used the gun at all because we're really scared. That sounds intense. Yeah. So everything is stealth kills or, like, smashing things with bricks. Great. Yeah, if you want to, like, hate yourself for playing a game and also want to get really into the mood of The Last of Us, it is a really fun mode to play, but also you will hate yourself. And I also, um, I started playing Silent Hill 3 last night. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why I keep playing these horror games when I hate playing horror games so much. I I know, this is different. (laughs) And I almost put it on hard mode. And my friend was like, don't do that. Just don't do that. So I was like, okay, I won't. I'll put it on normal mode. So I put it on normal mode. And then... I started playing the game and straight away like the you've, first thing you see is all these like mascot suit bunnies which I hate already and then like you go through into the next area and straight away this dog starts trying to kill you and I just screamed and just started crying. Oh no. I couldn't like <laughs> it was so bad. I'm such a wuss. So had you well no I no judgment. I don't think I'd even pick this up because I'd be too scared. <laughs> um, had you played this series at all before? No. Um, oh, wow. I have friends that really like it, but I've never touched it before. And it's got, like, that camera mode where it's, like, third-person camera, but it doesn't follow you. It moves, like, it changes depending on where you are on the map. And it's really hard to control the character. And so there was one point I walked into this area, and I could hear, like, this weird, like, slapping, <laughs> groaning sound. And I was like, I know there's a monster in this place, and I hate it so much. And my friend was like, you have to go through here. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I walked, and I turned a corner, and there's, like, this weird monster thing. And straight away, I was like, no, I'm leaving. So I turned to run, 
and I accidentally like started moonwalking towards the monster <laughs> while I was just screaming like I don't want to do this I don't want to moonwalk towards this and all of my friends were just laughing because I just couldn't make the character do what I wanted and I was just I so love upset. I description of you just like moonwalking toward a zombie. <laughs> I love it so much. That's basically what was happening and I was so scared. <laughs> so you'll probably get more updates on me being really bad at this game um, at some point in the future and if any <laughs> listeners have any tips please give them to me tips for silent hill 3 yep apparently you can't change the difficulty once you're in the game so i'm stuck on normal difficulty now oh no yeah and i'm real glad i didn't choose hard mode (laughs) i look forward to to more as you dance your way through the apocalypse (laughs) or i don't even know what silent hill like whether it's an apocalypse I think it's just a messed up town, right? Yeah, it's like a psychological horror or something. I actually don't know anything about this game, so it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Is the rest of the world okay? I no, think it's, it's so. Fine. Yeah, I think it's fine. <laughs> if I get out of this place, it's it's good. <laughs> but anyways, on to the main topic, which probably won't actually be that main of a topic because I think Ahsoka turned to our main topic. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we could either we could either make this short or we could just do a double length episode. Either way. I think we'll just see where it goes, possibly. Okay. I don't have, like, super uh, many things to say about this. Okay. I don't know how you feel. What do you think? No, Honestly, well, this is the opposite of the Ahsoka book in that I really liked it and I don't have much to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so it was just really solid. I think this trailer did a much better job of um, showing Jin's stakes in this story. The first one was sort of like, she's the leader. She can do cool stuff. But why is she doing this? What is her emotional connection to the rebellion? And this trailer showed what that connection was. It focused a bit more on her father. Um, and while I, I would love to see more mother-daughter stories in Star Wars, I also think that this is an important mo- uh, emotional motivation for her. So it was nice to see that. Yeah, I would like to see more mother-daughter stories too, but also father daughter stories not a huge thing in star wars so i'm interested to see where they go with that um and i do like that jen jen feels less like a hard ass like she kind of felt like that's what she was going to be in the first couple teasers um but in this one she seems genuinely more like hopeful and invested in what's happening which i think i like more yeah i i agree completely and for all the reasons that you said it makes her it makes the reader or the the reader. See, I'm already <laughs> on to thinking about this novel. Um, I'm maybe more excited about the novel than about the movie. But um, it makes the viewer more invested in her story if she's invested about her story. And it makes it a little more uh, easy to identify with her because she's not just being dragged along by the story. She's in it for a reason. And I, I like that. Yeah, I do too. Like, I'm kind of... There's too much of, like, the badass lady character who doesn't actually care about what what's going on until like the end of the movie um and i'm glad that they're not really doing that with this that she seems to yeah she has a reason to be involved and she seems to care about being involved and i liked that um they showed a bit more of the other characters as well um even if like it wasn't like huge things i liked seeing a bit more of saw because i always love saw Yes, and his cyborg leg. Yes, I love it. There's like a bunch of characters with disabilities in this movie and I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, a big theme here too. We've got um, Chirrut, who looks awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited for Chirrut and Baze. I still, I, I think 
Bodie is my favorite though because he had that awkward line where he's just like <laughs> on the phone like who are we like guys we need a team name what is even our team name <laughs> and I, I think he's gonna be my favorite the awkward defector yeah has he had a line in a trailer before I don't think so yeah it was nice hearing him talk finally it was. There was much more dialogue in this trailer, which I think added to that sense of characterization and that sense of interiority for all of them. Yeah, I'm really excited to see um, their like team as a team, because um, it's felt kind of isolated for each of the characters in a lot of the previous trailers or teasers. Um, like it'll show them acting as a character, but never them kind of like together, except for the last one before this. Kind of had them yeah, as a team, but this one had a bit more team stuff. They actually seem to like each other in this trailer. Yeah, and I guess because they said that the reshoots were largely to help with the team or the characterization or something like that. Um, so I guess maybe they're finally showing that in the trailer and they're like, look, they got a team and it's good. Mm-hmm. They mentioned sort of punching up the dialogue and adding some you know, scenes in inside uh, Starship cockpits and stuff. And I think that if that's what if that's where some of the humor and some of the heart in this trailer came from, then it's it's on a really good track. Yeah, and I remember people being, like, real freaked out they were doing reshoots. They were like, oh, the movie's bad. But if they were, like, I, I'm excited about the fact that they're actually trying to focus on the characters more and give them more strength, because that is a large part of Star Wars, is the characters being really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think reshoots are, are pretty standard, and script doctoring is pretty standard, so... Yeah. Or, or script, you know, just script editing by the same people. It's how it goes. So I'm not too worried about that. Oh, yeah. I had a moment um, when you see Vader come towards Krennic, and I totally thought Krennic was Mon Mothma because I wasn't paying entire attention. And I was like, oh my god, she's going to die. And then I was like, wait, Mon Mothma can't die in this movie. <laughs> nah, she's got a plot shield. She's fine. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> plot twist, it wasn't actually Mon Mothma in. I don't know which which Mon Mothma is fake, the the petition of two thousands one or the Return of the Jedi one. Oh God, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna start this conspiracy. <laughs> it's like it's like the um two Darth Vader's conspiracy from Rogue Quadrant, <laughs> which I fully support, by the way. Yeah, I'm two into that. Mon Mothma's conspiracy. I mean, there's already the two Luke's as well. This is a double of every character. <laughs> Moon Mothma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Moon Mothma's gonna die in this movie, but Mon Mothma's fine. Anyway, <laughs> I uh, I thought we saw Tarkin real briefly, but I I think I don't think we saw Tarkin. I think it was either Krennic or I just they also looked the same. Oh, maybe maybe there's just a Tarkin in the background that never talks. Maybe. I mean, silent that would be cool. I, guess. I mean, it would be cool to see him. That's actually, um, I I would think that it's quite a large probability that he's going to be in Catalyst because now we know that Catalyst is in a large part set like during the the prequel era. Yeah, so it would be interesting to see that. Yeah, and bringing um, oh my god, I've gone James Luceno in to write like to have Tarkin as a character as well within the book makes sense because he's he writes Tarkin well. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. All right so, um, we got away from ourselves a little bit with Moon Mothma. Was there anything else <laughs> that did that that I interrupted you from? Um. Oh, I feel like there was something else, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah, like the little shots of um the X wings. One thing. Glad there are X wings in the movie. Um. Another thing. Like the shots of the pilots looked really original trilogy, and I really liked that. 
They did. They did. Mm. I think because there's um the Force Awakens, like it had shots like that, but because it had the new tech and like the kind of updated uniforms, it didn't quite look like that. But I think because this one has the uniforms at least close to what we get in the original trilogy, it, it gives it more of that feeling. This trailer had some beautiful sweeping shots and just the way the camera kind of twisted around and Jed has beautiful um the. Oh, I just had the name on the tip of my tongue, and now it's gone. The beach planet. Oh, looks yeah. Beautiful. Yes. Um, and we're going to see all those beautiful places brutally destroyed by the Empire. Yep. So, looking forward to that. I'm real excited for all the shots. Like, I'm real excited for the scenes that involve that field of grass, because every time I see a shot of it in this trailers, in these trailers, it just looks gorgeous. Yeah, and there was the the jungle scenes. It looks so pretty. Yeah, it's a it's a gonna be a colorful movie for all that it's a you know quote dark grimy war movie. It seems like it has really cool like um, different types of landscapes. Yeah, I'm excited about that because um um what was I gonna say? Because the Force Awakens like didn't really anything that exciting with um, any planet, so. I'm, Keen to see what happens in Rogue One with them. There might even be planets with multiple biomes. Oh my god. Is that even a thing in Star Wars? <laughs> I'm not sure, but so <laughs> Scar- Scarif, that's the name of the beach planet. Oh, yeah. I think it might not actually just be a beach planet, but it might also have the beaches and the jungles and maybe the fields. Wow. So there's multiple biomes. I would love, I would actually be really excited to see that in a Star Wars movie, which is really <laughs> stupid, but I'm not I'll sure. I haven't analyzed the trailer for all possible biomes, but it's possible. Yeah. Okay. Like, do you think we're going to see much Galen in this movie, or do you think he'll just kind of be like a, a side character somewhat? I think he'll be at the beginning and possibly the end, like flashbacks a couple times, but not as a main, main character. Yeah, that makes sense. And we'll see more of him in the in the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did you have any other thoughts on the trailer? You know, I, I think that's about it. The in terms of sort of uh, quantifiable information, I don't. I don't really have too many feelings. Jedha was beautiful. That statue of the Jedi just laying in the sand was an amazing visual. I got a real Korriban vibe from some of it, which was cool. Yes. So this this trailer made me more excited for it than the other ones had. Yeah, I think me too. And I think largely having the characters interacting more helped with that. Um, but also, yes, yeah, absolutely. that Jedi statue shot was real, real cool. Yep. I'm really excited for Jedi. And I'm excited to see what they're doing with um, the Jedi and the Force with all this new stuff. Because they're doing something. They're leading up to, like, something of some kind, which is going to culminate, I guess, in the new trilogy, but I have no clue what's actually going to happen with regards to the Force. Yeah, there's a lot coming together with the kyber crystals and the sort of implication that some people can use the Force without necessarily being strictly Jedi or Sith. There's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of, like, you know, which which characters are really Force-sensitive and which are just attuned to it and what's the difference. So we're seeing uh, seeing a lot of that, and I feel like the new 
the new canon and the new movies are drawing less of a thick line between Force-sensitive and non-Force-sensitive. There are more characters that fall somewhere kind of in between, do you think so? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think I like it as well because it gives it more of a feeling of like anyone can do anything rather than like you have to be born this way to be a Jedi and be a savior of the galaxy, kind of. Mm. And normally I'm definitely like a... I'm more interested in Jedi than in anything else in Star Wars, but this movie doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like it has any lightsaber battles, which is itself a unique thing. If we're even going to see, like, Vader's lightsaber. But um, I, it looks interesting, sort of, despite that. I'm definitely getting more excited for it. And we'll see when, when Catalyst comes out. That'll be really interesting. I'm so excited for Catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, any final thoughts on anything? Well, I wanted to shout out to Alex Ward on Twitter, who is Tibunda on Twitter, because he did um, a review on Random Chatter that just gave a shout out to us saying he didn't read Twilight Company, but because we liked it, he recommended it. So <laughs> I thought that was funny and kind of wanted to thank him for both regarding our opinion and just for like making me laugh because <laughs> I like that, that <laughs> he trusted our opinion on that. So thank you, Alex. Yes, that was that was really cool. I do appreciate yeah. that a lot. Thank you. Thank you for the shout out um, and your thing. And also because it's a whole post about like how books link up with the canon and what they're like, which is a good read, I think, if you're interested in that stuff and don't it don't is. read much. Yeah, it's a very comprehensive post. Yeah, yeah. So good work, Alex. Good work. Um, yeah, so that's us for this fortnight. Um, I say week every time and I'm like, we're not a weekly podcast. Why do I do this? Um, <laughs> so oh yeah. man, you get to use the word fortnight more often. I know. I love, thing. I love that word. So yeah, that's us for this fortnight. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Um, <laughs> hit us up if you have any opinions on the trailer that you want to hear us talk about. And I should probably mention where we are before I do our sign off. I'm Seth. You can find me <laughs> at Wanderlusten on Twitter or on notsafwork.com. You can also check out my Banner Saga review, which is a lot longer and a lot more comprehensive than what I said on toshistation.com.net. What is it? <laughs> I should know. Oh, man. Yeah, it's .net. <laughs> Toshi-station.net, which you probably already know if you listen to this podcast. Megan, where can we find you? Um, people can find me on Twitter and I was also going to completely forget to, to talk about my own <laughs> stuff. So thanks for remembering. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook at blog full of words. I'm at denofgeek.com and I'm a little bit at starwars.com and delraystarwars.tumblr.com. Those are all the places. Yeah. I think. And you should definitely go read Megan's stuff cause it is awesome. And, uh, Oh my god. At some point we should talk about Rebels, by the way. That's for another time, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So for now, thank you for listening, and don't forget to check the Western Reaches.